Hi, and welcome to What the Hell is Elder Care? This is Kate Sherman. And uh, I basically, I'm going to be interviewing Donna, who is the power of attorney uh, for my Aunt Dolly, who currently resides in a nursing home. And I'm going to ask um, Donna a few questions about power of attorney. How are you doing today, Donna? I'm very well, Kate. Thank you. How are you? Good. And thank you for... Um, being on our podcast, uh, I really appreciate it. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you became the power of attorney. Well, I'm not really positive how it began, but when my dad died, I we had it all nice and tidy. I worked for a law firm and was working for the law firm back then, and we had powers of attorney set up for my mom and my dad and when and wills and everything so when dad died it was a clean move it it, it it was a clean process we barely had to go through probate and that was the personal rep side of it but dolly's mom had been in elder care she was in a facility in in town and I'm pretty sure she didn't have anything set up like that. So she saw the feasibility of the process after my dad died of my mom moving forward. And so mom already had a POA with me. The POA is not only the document, but the person. So at some point in time, she asked me if I would be willing to be the power of attorney for her. And I said, of course. So mm -hmm. she went. She sought the advice mm -hmm. of one of our attorneys. Of course, that's all confidential aside from me, but she had asked my advice in the beginning. And so um, the firm drew up the power of attorney. She came in, she signed it. She proceeded to provide me with the original to hold in trust until and unless we needed it. And she kept a copy for herself. Okay. So I'm assuming that's how it all began was just knowing that the minimalization of difficulty that comes out of an indigent individual who needs uh, care and, and decisions made in their behalf in, in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And that's what we were talking about yesterday with Jane was that, you know, power of attorney um, becomes relevant uh, when that person is no longer able to make the decisions on their own due to health conditions or due to maybe a decline in mental health or, you know, if they have dementia, Alzheimer's, in which uh, Aunt Dolly had ended up with dementia, correct? That is correct, but it can also be used in the absence of the person itself who just doesn't want to continue to conduct their own business. Okay. Okay. Very... Now, typically a power of attorney is not recognized until it's a recorded document. So right. once you create the POA, you typically just put it in your lockbox or keep it in a safe at home or whatever until you're ready to use it. And then it's not recognized by entities such as banks and investments and, and anything like that until it's actually recorded with the 
whatever county you intend and, and state you intend to use it. Correct. And then what happens is that once that person, um, you know, passes on, then you can no longer be that power of attorney. Then you're looking at the executor of the will. Is that correct? That is correct. The okay. power of attorney expires upon the death of, of the uh, giver. And then in South Carolina, it's considered a personal representative. In other states, it's executors or executrix. But in South Carolina, it's a PR, a personal representative that takes over uh, upon the death of an individual once the POA expires. Okay. And as that power of attorney, why don't we just talk a little bit about um, you being the power of attorney and, and some of the things that you really like as the power of attorney or how are you working in helping uh, Aunt Dolly? Well, it makes it easier for me. Some of the difficult things are the difficult decisions, mm -hmm. but the, the ease of it is um, I'm on a, once I take it to the bank and, and they recognize it and have their legal department uh, recognize it, then I'm allowed to pay all her bills in her behalf since maybe her handwriting becomes too difficult or, or her um, level of cognitive ability becomes more difficult, then I'm capable of paying all her bills and keeping everything up as opposed to it just going into collections mm -hmm. and um then i buy her groceries i have her credit card i buy her groceries at one point in time i did and have them sent to her home and i paid her credit card mm -hmm. so little things like that are the easy things but you have to be recognized by these entities you have to be recognized by investment companies um insurance companies um, pension plans, retirement plans, the Medicare and the Social Security Administration, all these entities must have a copy of that recorded power of attorney. Even her, her um, uh, not appliances, but her direct TV or whatever it was, mm -hmm. or anything like, or anything like that. Everybody has to see that power of attorney recorded and documented before they'll talk to you. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, you have to get in there and really work on that. And you really have to make sure that you have documentation of everything that is being spent, correct? Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. right. And so uh, in regards to that, do you, um, is, are you also the medical then power of attorney? You also have that right, correct? to make those that is correct right and i assume aunt dolly had all of that established regarding her living will yes yes back in the day it was considered a desire for a natural death mm -hmm. nowadays it's actually a hipaa document mm -hmm. but it all it they just they just kind of conform into one another because what was is now and yes she had a desire for a natural death as well mm -hmm. okay so um, let's just talk a little bit about what do you find difficult, some of the difficulties in, in being a power of attorney. It's making the hard decisions in her health care. I mean, it, it's easy to say, let's go to the doctor, call and make an appointment. But the hardest decision was deciding 
one, when we needed to get private care into the home and convince her that was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And two, then having her transported to the hospital after several falls and taking her into a rehab facility and then transporting her into a a secured memory care facility. It Mm -hmm. just, that's the hardest thing because she doesn't understand for the most part, why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. It's a huge obligation. Sure. Cause she was so used to being independent, um, and not relying really on anybody, but right. now you've, you are that person that she relies on and you do such an amazing job, um, for her. You really do. Um, did you find it difficult for the medical staff or uh, the nursing home, I know, especially with the nursing home, they kept seeing you as the caregiver and it was, we really had a push to, um, to have you recognized as the power of attorney. Even though every day I walked in and introduced myself to a new CNA or an RN as her POA, the administration had trouble with that. I think mm-hmm. the nurses got it. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. I understand. But the administration had trouble keeping up with all that. Okay. But we, we fixed that. Right, right. It all got sorted out, that's for sure. sure. So one of the things that I talk about and, and with Jane on this, our sixth uh, podcast, which will air right after our conversation, um, well, actually what we had discussed about before we started with that sixth podcast was that, um, you know, we talked about sometimes it's best to have that power of attorney in the same state in, in, in town, uh, if yes. possible. And did you yes. find that to be easy for you? Yes. I think it's real important that, um, they do be, they are local one, their eyes on every minute, every day, and they know exactly what's going on. It's it's hard to be an efficient and effective POA if you're not present in that person's life, in that person's business, in that person's health and medication administration, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. It's very important to be present, and locality is everything. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so in closing... Um, Donna, what, what are some of your, what would you say to somebody that was about to be asked to be a power of attorney? Um, what, what would you say to them? What advice would you give them? Number one, it's a labor of love. Mm -hmm. It is an important job that you must take seriously. Never, ever take it lightly and expect nothing in return because it is, it is truly a labor of love. Oh, that's beautiful. And I agree with you at a hundred percent. So I just want to take a moment to thank you so much um, for your time and especially how you're helping uh, out with Aunt Dolly and you know, I, I can't say enough. Um, and I'm very grateful that you are in her life 
and you're there um, to see her every day. As I talk with Jane about you, Donna, I mention how you're in that nursing home every day. And I want to mention that Donna does work a full-time job. So after she is finished with work, she heads off to the nursing home to make sure that um, my Aunt Dolly and Elder Raddy, her friend, is taken care of. So uh, yes. I just want to thank you very much um, at the amazing work that you do. So, um, but thank, thank you for your love and support. That means everything to me. Well, it's my pleasure. And I want to thank you very much for your time. And thank you listeners for listening in again. And uh, we look forward to starting with uh, our uh, sixth podcast. Have a good night. Take care. Thank you. I look forward to hearing it. Okay. Bye-bye. Good night. What the hell is elder care? Hey, welcome back. Uh, this is part two from the last, from what was that, number five? Yes. Wow, I can't believe it. This is wonderful, isn't it, Jane? It is. I, I can't believe we're on the sixth podcast already with different topics. We we could, I said we could go into the middle of 24 with topics. And that's the truth, Jane. <laughs> isn't that the truth? There is so much going on. In elder care, it's ever-evolving. Do you agree? I agree. Okay. I agree. Yeah, so last time, uh, podcast, our fifth podcast, we really focused on resources regarding skilled communities, assisted living, um, independent, and then what else did we talk about, Jane? We talked about um, um, resources in the home mm -hmm. as well as levels of care outside the home right talked about who really to be in touch with if there's a hospitalization and just talked about the financial aspect of the different levels of care whether it's out of pocket or whether it's quote-unquote insurance covered right exactly exactly so i really enjoyed that that last uh, podcast and um of course i've enjoyed being a part of all of them and I know you have too, Jane. And I just want to thank Jane so much for being my partner in crime uh, in doing this. So um, I just want to talk a little bit, and Jane and I actually both would like to talk a little bit um, on the sixth podcast about power of attorney, living wills, the healthcare proxy, guardianship, and then end it with... Uh, Medicare because the enrollment period is coming up. Correct, Jane? Yes, we're in it. Yep, okay. we are. So, you know, Jane, with power of attorney, um, I, I just want to give a little bit of a, a, a story here, if you don't mind. Um, I think I've talked about this before. My aunt is currently in a nursing home. She's in a secure unit um, uh, in, a, in a nursing community in uh, South Carolina and she has had chosen the right person for her power of attorney. Now her power of attorney was really in, became very involved with her and this is key from when she wasn't able to make decisions on her own. And um, so when she was hospitalized 
or power of attorney who lives in the same state, lives in the same town as she does, as my aunt. Uh, she was helpful in making sure that uh, my aunt was getting the correct care in the hospital and in rehab and then into the memory care unit. And isn't that important, don't you think, uh, Jane? Oh, I, I think it's absolutely important. Mm -hmm. um, picking your your healthcare proxy and your decision maker mm -hmm. um, when you when you have your faculties when you when you're full capacity, right. it's somebody that can honestly understand and have these conversations, so their job is easier. Mm -hmm. Versus when you're unable to make that, and they're trying to think, what what would she really want me to do? What would he want me to do in this case? Right, exactly. So you know the thing about durable power of attorney is that it's a legal document. And that's what my aunt did. She had a legal document written up. And there are forms that that you can find on the internet for each state that you reside in. Or you can go to an elder law attorney and um, and have that drawn up there. But you need to make sure that you understand that you're providing someone else with the power to make decisions for you. Um, and when we talk about that, it's the power to help with the finances, taking care of your financials and making sure that your wishes are known. Um, and the thing about the power of attorney is that you have to make sure that you pick the right person, the person that is in state, the same state, and hopefully in the same town. Because if you are admitted to the hospital and your power of attorney is in Hawaii and you're in Pittsburgh, that's difficult. Though you can have that conversation by phone, it's always nice when your power of attorney can be in the hospital or by your side, correct? Correct, correct. Okay, so power of attorney, make sure that um, when it's drawn up, that it's dated and it's signed by the principal and that it's witnessed by two individuals. And normally they don't want family members. Am I correct with that? Lots of times they don't because they think, especially when parents choose children, sometimes there's emotional decisions exactly. that really, that they really cannot stop the aggressive measures. They cannot remove somebody off of a respirator making that decision. It's just there is something about making sure, and I say this with quotes, making sure everything is done that could possibly be done. Mm -hmm. Sometimes individuals, and we'll talk about that on a living will advance directive, Kate, when mm -hmm. we're done here, right. that, that people choose not to have some things done, but those family members still want to have right. things done. Right. And, and you know, after you've chosen you know, your witnesses and you've chosen the individual that's going to be your power of attorney, um, you have to make sure it's notarized. So make sure that you have that power of attorney notarized. And um, if you have any issues with writing your hand, well, if you, I'm sorry, if you have any issues with handwriting, you can just make an X and that will be accepted. The primary thing about your power of attorney is that you have to be alert. You have to be lucid when you're establishing this power of attorney. You have to be aware of your surroundings. Um, you cannot have somebody that has Alzheimer's disease um, 
and is confused and they are confused uh, making up a power of attorney. That's not legal. Um, so you want to make sure that you have things notarized and witnessed and that individual who is establishing the power of attorney for themselves is alert and oriented. Do you agree? I agree. Well said. And then the other thing about power of attorney is that, so let's say that um, I make Jane, you're my power of attorney. Jane, as a power of attorney, and here I am, alert and oriented, are you allowed to go out and start handling my finances? Absolutely not. Absolutely and, not. And tell our listeners why not. When a power of attorney becomes um, invoked and utilized, it's because physicians have agreed that the individual does not have the mental capacity to make an informed decision and an appropriate decision at the time. So, and that is for the protection of the patient, I might add, mm -hmm. because you just can't have family members who feel their mother should not be living at home anymore saying, I'm the power of attorney, quote unquote, I'm putting her in a nursing home. Right. Well, there are rights and there there is a declaration of incapacitation mm -hmm. that needs to be done before something could be done. The only time, if I can bring this in now, Kate, sure. is when you know, um, a physician and a psychiatrist feel that somebody is incapacitated, that person cannot appoint a power of attorney at that time. Mm -hmm. That's when you go through the court system and you go through a guardianship. Right. And guardianships can, uh, as a home health social worker during my years there, it was that normally we would pursue guardianship through the local area agency on aging because we'd have a client that didn't have family. Or if they did have family, the family said, we don't want any part of this. We'd prefer you to pursue guardianship. So, um, and, and that's why I think it's so important that if you do have friends or you do have family members that you establish them as your power of attorney so that we don't have to go into guardianship, which can also be costly. Costly, correct. Mm -hmm. And and during a guardianship, mm -hmm. I think the difficulty I had, and I had been with working with the dementia population uh -huh. when they were unable to appoint a power of attorney and the family never pursued it. And when you're in a court hearing for the appointment of the guardian, it's a very difficult process to know that you are taking the rights away of that individual to make decisions. And and that individual may have been ill for some time and had years of some confusion and, and unable to care for oneself. But you still like to believe that you are in your own right at all times making decisions. Mm -hmm. And people are entitled to make bad decisions. Right. That doesn't mean they're incompetent. Right. But the taking of someone's rights away and putting it in the hands of a legal guardian who reports to the court financially and otherwise, that's still a very difficult thing. That's why people are encouraged, strongly encouraged, to do a power of attorney, to do their own advanced directive 
and make those decisions so all you have is an enforcer, not the decision maker, because you were your own. That's right. That's right. I I agree with you 100%, because I know with the power of attorney, it is so important that that is established, because especially if you're in the hospital and you're not able to make those decisions um, and, and we'll get into that about advanced directives and the durable power of attorney for healthcare or healthcare proxy. Um, it's just that you have to make sure that you have someone that you trust um, and that is going to make the right decisions for you. If you don't have that, then you're leaving it up, leaving it up to someone you don't even know that is not aware of your life, right? Your history, making those decisions for you. And that's unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Right. Yeah, I agree. So, And I think you see that, or I saw it, Kate. Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe you saw it as much as I did mm -hmm. on a couple, an elderly couple that didn't have children mm -hmm. and had nieces and nephews all scattered throughout the states. Right. Um, they just were in a bind and felt like there was nobody they could turn to. I have seen ex-wives, I've seen ex-husbands, I've seen neighbors, I've seen a lot of people that have a whole lot of compassion and understanding and love for the individual to make good decisions. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes everybody thinks your child's going to be your power of attorney right. and your decision maker, right. and that's not the case. Right, that's not necessarily true, which brings to my aunt and her power of attorney. I mean, her power of attorney is... Um, my aunt's best friend had passed away, and uh, my aunt's best friend's daughter became her power of attorney, my Aunt Dolly's power of attorney. So, um, and I'm very appreciative of that. The thing of it is, with her being a power of attorney, is that we talk every day. Um, even though I'm not power of attorney, um, I do have that history and background in elder care and medical advocacy. And I have my aunt's best interest at heart, as does the power of attorney. And um, it's really nice because we both, she visits personally the, the nursing community, and I make a phone call every day at one o'clock just to check and see how my aunt's doing so I can report to the power of attorney, who, by the way, she keeps a book a financial book on everything she spends, everything that goes out and whatever's coming in for my aunt. So that's also important to make sure that you are monitoring the finances and that you have, you know, receipts, things like that, in case you are ever asked, especially if you're placing somebody in a nursing community or applying for Medicaid. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. One thing I'd like to bring up to sure. Kate, if I can, you know, when you were talking, that's a, that's what you have is the ideal situation. Right. You've got the support of out-of-town family, and you've got a, a wonderful power of attorney that you trust who had personal involvement. I think I think sometimes it is difficult when people are out of town and they don't have a handle, and they don't have a connect with the situation. I was power of attorney with my parents 
down in Florida, but I did have a connect because I had one parent or the other, depending upon who was ill, I had the other, you know, to go back and forth. But the question that's always posed to me professionally is if you are married, you're legally married, do you really need to have a document that you are your husband's power of attorney? Or is it legally assumed that you will be the recipient of the assets and make all the decisions because you are the legal spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, where it gets a little tricky is blended families. Mm-hmm. And that's when it really can be hurtful. Right. It can not suddenly turn and not be in the patient's best interest, the family member's best interest. When you've got children that may resent the second wife, the third wife, hopefully not a fourth wife, and um, you've got other individuals that feel they played a bigger part but weren't appointed. Mm -hmm. And there can be some ugliness, if you will, with that. But people that are are legally married, they wonder if they should, quote-unquote, have the expense of an elder care attorney to be power of attorney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think you should become a power of attorney for your spouse. Do you agree? Because I think that's important. Because like you just said, you never know what's going to happen. Right? I did it. Yeah. So I'm a proponent of yeah, it. But I agree. I'm just saying everybody feels, well, I'm married. There's nothing. I'm not sure. gonna I'm not gonna do it. But right. anyway, I I wondered if you got that question a lot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's... And um, definitely. And I would tell them that my suggestion would be, yes, pursue it. Mm-hmm. Pursue it. So. Okay, so Jane, um, since you have that background in hospice and home health, um, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of information about advanced healthcare directives, um, living will, you know, your healthcare proxy. And and I always thought, people always said, why do they call it a living will? They call it a living will because you fill it out and do it when you're living. You know, it's, it's, it's not your last will and testament that you utilize after you're gone. That's another thing, just, just to, to, I just happened to think about this, Kate, power of attorney Mm-hmm. is terminated upon death. Absolutely. You know, that's another that's thing right. because people interchange executor, executress, and I'm the power of attorney. Well, after death, there is not a power of attorney. Right. But um, a living will, um, I like to call it a healthcare advanced directive because it's you're directing the decision-making that you mm-hmm. want. People, um, upon coming into the hospital or coming on home health or coming on... Um, home care and hospice, when you say do you have an advanced directive, you can see their eyeballs rolling Mm -hmm. because people are quote unquote sick of hearing that question. Well, sick of hearing it because it's become more of a necessity than what it ever was. I think at some point people treated it as a luxury. Well, I have one, you know, in case anybody ever asks. Now doctors' offices need to know. Hospitals want it on file. Um, hospices, everybody wants to know your advanced directives. 
the purpose is to honor that advance directive because you did it when you were mentally competent in choosing decisions. And if I can, Kate, without, I mean, we could do a whole, we could do a whole thing on an advance directive. That's how important it is to get done. But I think the things we want to look at is most people are used to the question of CPR. Do you want CPR? Do you not want CPR? Do you want chest compressions or not chest compressions? Do you want intubated and on a ventilator or do you not want intubated? Do you want to be sent to the hospital? Do you not want to be sent to the hospital? Mm -hmm. There is so much more than just do you want, like you and I looking at each other would say, of course, if I dropped over in five minutes, would you start CPR on me, Kate? Mm -hmm. The answer would probably be yes, if I'm an able-bodied individual and there's no reason not to do it. Absolutely. But my advanced directive is indicating do not do that when I have a disease process that could be terminal, life-threatening, and non-curable. There can be verbiage that the the um, attorney will use in the advance directive and on your living will. But then a lot of people say, go ahead, and if I come back, I come back. But please don't put me on a ventilator. I don't want the family to make the decision to terminate the ventilator from an emotional standpoint. So you you've got CPR, you've got intubation, you've got chest compressions, you've got hospitalizations, You've got decisions of dialysis. Mm -hmm. Right. You've got decisions of blood products. You've got decisions of antibiotics, when and when not to use antibiotics. Mm -hmm. You also have decisions on when to um, stop testing as it results to no follow-up intervention that's going to make anything any different. Mm-hmm. And there can be any, and, and and with blood products too, there becomes a religious issue with blood right. products on right. that. But there's a lot of things on that that are not just CPR, just not respirator related. So I, I think people need to really sit down and think about, well, would I have dialysis? Well, when your kidneys are functioning and you're not in kidney failure or you're not on a kidney transplant list, yes, I might go with dialysis to see what my options are because people get frightened saying, well, if you stop dialysis, you don't have long to live. And, that, and that's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you are septic and you choose not to have IV antibiotics or any other type of infusion, so there's a lot of lot of questions and answers that you are able to figure out for yourself. Right, and and, and they're hard decisions to make, but based on what your diagnosis is and what your standing is in the medical from the medical perspective is what you want to look at so your family has an idea of where you're going. Right, and I think that saves the family a lot of, of having to make those hard decisions um, because it's there, it's written in black and white, you know, and, and that brings me to something I, I meant to bring up earlier about the power of attorney and your living will and, and the healthcare proxy is that when I was in healthcare and even today as a medical advocate, I always tell my clients to make sure that when you have that paperwork completed, you really need to keep that on your refrigerator 
and market ambulance, you know, so that they can take that with them. Or you need to make sure that your doctor's office and the hospital has those things on file. Um, for my aunt, the power of attorney brought everything with her for to the hospital, but it didn't transfer to the nursing community. So she had to bring another set, you know, a copy of everything. So don't assume that the that paperwork is at the hospital or at the doctor's office or at the nursing, wherever you might be going. Um, just make sure that you always have multiple copies available. Good point, good point. Yeah. Talking about advanced directives, I left out one important, sure. one important point because sure. I think we need to talk about it separately. Mm -hmm. Feeding tubes. Right. Because that is, and I think because of the ethical cases. It's very controversial, yes. Exactly. Because we have husbands making decisions, but parents re you know, rejecting that. We have this, we have that. Um, I will tell you, uh, my brother-in-law um, had esophageal CA cancer, and they put a feeding tube in him at Allegheny General, and I can remember my my husband's sister-in-law going, we, we weren't sure they, they were going to do that. Well, what do you mean you weren't sure mm -hmm. they were going to do that? Well, then they said, we're only going to do that and leave the feeding tube in for a month or two to see how it does while we do radiation that may burn, you know, his, his throat and esophagus and so forth. These things are important because most people do not picture people with individuals in a nursing home with feeding tubes living on and on with, quote, no quality. Mm -hmm. So feeding tubes are a huge decision to make, whether you're doing it in this situation that I experienced with a brother-in-law, who they were looking at 60 days worth of feedings to just build them up a little bit, more hydration, more nutrition, and then see where we went with the treatments and whether he was able to get enough caloric intake. Mm -hmm. But that is definitely on an advanced directive for people to know ahead of time of... Right of what they want. Right. And you know, even if you have an advanced directive established, you can always go back and change it. It's, you know, you can change it year to year if you'd like to. You know, you might really start thinking about what do I really want to have done? Well, right, I don't wanna have CPR, but I've decided I wanna have a, you know, a feeding tube. Um, you know, I've decided that, um, you know, I, I don't want to have, um, let's see, what were the ones, Mechan the ventilation, you know, I don't want to be on a ventilator, you know, so you have the right to make changes year to year, correct? And I think after, if anybody has ever gone to dialysis, and I have not, but I'm right. basing it on patients who sat with me and said, I need to stop. Right. It's very tiring. It really, my, the day after is not night. Then I go back and, you know, you're on the table, you're this, you're that. Mm -hmm. That is their right to be able to choose that. And and family members have said that's a self-suicide. It's, it, it's, it's a medical decision of treatment mm -hmm. because of their chronic non-curable condition. Uh, 
that is their choice to do it. Families, rightfully so, can't let go. Right. So um, those are some points I wanted to bring up with an advanced directive, and that's why I think it's important to review it. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to see the stipulations with it. Mm-hmm. As you said, disperse it appropriately. Mm-hmm. I just think it's just something that everybody, we go out, we choose what we're going to wear tomorrow. We choose where we, what we'd like for dinner or buying the grocery store. We choose everything else mm-hmm. based on our needs and our wants. Well, why not that, Kate? Right. Why I'm not? Great. Let's put it down on paper. Absolutely. Well, I uh, thank you, Jane, for that insight on advanced directives, living will. And um, I think uh, we're going to take a few moments here to talk about something that Jane is going to talk about this. It's the enrollment period of, because uh, Medicare, we're in that enrollment period right now. And Jane, why don't you lead us into that discussion? I just wanted to say, uh, maybe some of the viewers have chosen their their plan maybe they're not going to be choosing their plan for another couple years i just think it's totally necessary to be able to do your homework when you look at this i myself did even though i've done this job and i have made recommendations it is getting a little more confusing um in 2024 Tier 3 drugs are changing completely, which affects um, people that are on Medicare, straight Medicare, and supplements. But also, it will affect some Advantage plans later on after a certain period of, of payment. And I just think that please, please look up a really viable, trustworthy company to be able to walk you through what's best for you because there's a point where the prescription plan may be may be the most vital thing you need to look at. So you want to go through that and what's that going to mean in 24 versus 23? What's it going to be in two years? When, when you do pick a plan, maybe you should look at it now versus what's it going to be later. And I think look at your medical condition, talk to somebody about it, look at your medications, and look at everything about it, and make sure you're paying appropriate premiums, but more importantly, get appropriate care, whether that be inpatient in a hospital or just outpatient with testing and physician's visits, or rehabilitation if necessary. Absolutely, and and one place that if you have any questions about Medicare and, and supplemental insurance, you can certainly reach out to your local area agency on aging. Um, they, they do have Medicare volunteers there um, that will answer your questions or any concerns, and it is a free service to you. And it, because sometimes it can be, you know, to, to to reach medicare.gov, I think it is, or Medicare. Um, I can't think of the website. I wish I would have had it, but um, sometimes it's tough to get through. That's the only thing. I agree. But thanks for letting me put that plug in because that was important to me. I, I, I was almost stressed out for months before I picked my plan and before I picked my drug plan and decided whether I was gonna go Advantage plan or Medicare supplement. 
and um, I just feel that I had great advice and I think everybody should get that, Kate. I agree. I agree with you 100%. We definitely need to know what we're entitled to after our retirement, correct? Um, so another thing that we just want to mention is that um, this is our last uh, podcast, uh, and we're going to start up again for the year, and we'll be starting back up in January. And one of the things that we are going to focus on is um, caregivers. We're going to try and get a caregiver roundtable together. Um, and so we wanted to give you some insight on that. I, there is so much more to talk about out there regarding elder care. Um, and Jane is certainly um, knowledgeable. She has so much information to provide. Um, so I just want to say that we appreciate that you have listened in to our podcast and providing you education. We try to follow the three E's, education, empower, and experience. And I found another one too. I just thought of this with the three E's. We were always trying to meet the three E's. This is what I also have another E. Embrace the journey. Embrace the journey. That because there's sense. no other way to do it. Cheryl, you, I, we've talked about own it. Mm -hmm. How about we embrace it? Because we're here. You're going to approach it. I'm in it. People are a couple years past me in it. But let's just see how we can help each other. Because there's there really is some support out there. If, if you know somebody that can give the appropriate resources. So... I was going to say, embrace the journey. That'll be something else for us in January, Kate. I agree. I agree. That's something to look forward to. Um, I want to leave on this quote with Audrey Hepburn, who I happen to love. Um, some Just a, a wonderful human being and, and always loved her movies and wearing pearls. And just, she's just so elegant, you know. Um, so... This is a quote from her, true beauty in a woman is reflected in her soul. It is the caring that she lovingly gives, the passion that she knows, and the beauty of a woman with passing years only grows. It's lovely. I love it. And I just want to say, Vice President Harris can't touch the pearls when it comes to <laughs> pearls. I'm just I saying. I know. I'm just saying. I know. <laughs> It's nothing like Audrey Hepburn and the Pearls. It was just beautiful. So, but uh, we're signing off until the beginning of the year. And uh, once again, just want to thank you all for listening. Uh, shout out to Adam Sherman for helping us uh, with our podcast. We were two women that came up with this idea. Well, professional women um, who are in our years uh, and we're growing. And... Um, we just made this decision that we wanted to get together and have a nice little uh, conversation about elder care every month. So We sure did, and I appreciate you choosing me, Kate, and your son was awesome. And to everybody out there, please come back to us in January. I'd like to say have a wonderful Thanksgiving, be grateful, and have a wonderful holiday season. 
And we'll see you back here in 2024. And smile. 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 Embrace the journey. Embrace the journey. Thank you very much for listening and take care.